Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's crossover Thursday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're crossing over with the Locked On Dolphins and Locked On Bengals today. You've got Kyle Krabs at Grinding the Tape from Locked On Dolphins, joining myself, Jake Lisko, and James Rapine from Locked On Bengals. Locked On Crossover Thursday is brought to you by PrizePix. PrizePix is so much fun, so easy to play. My favorite thing about it is just how easy it is. You against the projections, you're going to pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their PrizePix projection, and you can win up to 10 times money on your entry. It's easy. It's quick. Less than 60 seconds to enter. We love prize picks. We know you well, too. First-time users will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com and promo code locked on. Here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, we cover your team every day, free and available everywhere you get your podcasts and on YouTube. So go check out the Lockdown Bengals and Lockdown dolphins podcast on any of those platforms hit that subscribe button hit that follow button and we appreciate all of you who make us your first listen and guys without further ado let's get in to the biggest stories of this game there are a lot of storylines we can pick from here but kyle we'll start with you what stands out the most i think one thing that's really uh interesting for miami's standpoint in this contest is everybody kind of looked the first four games on the schedule home against new england at baltimore Buffalo Bills, defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. And you said, wow, this is this is kind of a, a killer's row of AFC teams to get your season started. And of course, Miami has surprised with how they have handled this. And, and this game brings a whole new set of challenges uh, with, with Cincinnati and the wide receivers and the weapons that they have where Miami will still be without cornerback Byron Jones, who started the year on PUP. I think Cincinnati is the team that is best positioned to challenge Miami in their secondary without Byron Jones. And then obviously the short week and the defense, who's been the the backbone of the team for the last three seasons, playing 90, 92 snaps against Buffalo on Sunday in the heat. I think this is a really big test, you know, and I think some people may look at Cincinnati's record and be a little bit dismissive, but I'm certainly not. I understand the matchup problems that they present and, if they can get the protection sorted out and Joe kind of hums against the blitz like he did so well last year, I think it's a really, really good litmus test for Miami in the end of this very strong first quarter of their season schedule to kind of get a feel for, okay, you know, this is going to be a contending team in the AFC playoff landscape, but just how seriously should we be taking them in the early portions of the season as an AFC contender? Three Do you buy is a good the- way to start. Do, do you it's buy a great the way trap? To start. The, the, yeah, the trap game talk or the obviously it's a tough spot. Anytime you have to go on the road Thursday night, that's rough. But but are are you buying that some given the the injuries and both teams are dealing um, with some injuries here, especially DJ Reader on the Bengals side, which we can talk yeah, about. Yeah, it's but, a t- tough loss are, for you guys for sure. Uh, but um, but are, are, are you buying that for Miami coming off the win against Buffalo? I, I think my it's it's not necessarily a trap for the sense of a lack of respect for Cincinnati, but as a team that has not had, I mean, they were three and zero last in two thousand and eighteen, and I think the time before that was two thousand and thirteen, and then you got to go back to like two thousand early two thousands 
Like they're not in this position often. And they, you have a first year head coach. You still have a young team, you know, they're three years into their kind of rebuilt roster and you you've seen them put finishing touches. But I think this is where the importance of veteran players like Melvin Ingram and Tyree kill on either side of the ball are going to be really important to kind of keep Miami and their young players grounded. Because I think you can look at, Hey, we came back, we put 42 on Baltimore, and then we held off Buffalo at home and knocked off a team that has had a lot of success against us. And you can kind of drink the Kool-Aid and feel yourself a little bit. And I think from that perspective, it's where I think this can be a pretty volatile blend for Miami to have those elements in addition to being the short week. But I'd be very surprised if if they looked at Cincinnati and they looked at a one and two record and they let that be the letdown component. I, I think there's some more internal demons that they'll they'll have to make sure that they are fighting and staving off to make sure that their heads are centered for this football game. Bumps and bruises, getting used to winning, like you're saying, and just the brutality of having a short week off of what transpired, especially on that defensive side of the ball, like you mentioned, in that heat where numerous players for Buffalo on the sunny side of the field down there in Miami showed up on the injury report with just heat listed as their injury. James, from the Bengals' perspective, obviously trying to get things back on track here and some other fun narratives you could talk about as well if you think any of them stand out. But but what stands out to you as the biggest story from the Bengals' side of things? I think the pressure's on the Bengals still. And the moment they went went to Dallas and dropped to 0-2, they thought, okay, in five days we can get to even. And so they did that first part of it against the Jets in week three. And, and so now four days later, can they take care of business against a, a 3-0 and team? I don't know if people necessarily thought at the time thinking that, that they would be 3-0, and but the Dolphins are 3-0. and And they're scary. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to, to, to make a face when you talk about that roster uh, on both sides of the ball. So that's it, is, are the defending AFC champs, who a lot of national pundits talked about being – uh, or kind of being a fluke last year. And it might be a letdown this year coming off of that Super Bowl loss. Are they really going to start one and three? Because it's kind of the opposite of what Kyle said. This first part of the schedule, everybody, me, you, everybody, seemed like it was like, these, these are the games you can win. You can get off to a really good start. Maybe you're three and one in the first four. Maybe you're four and oh in the first four. And, and then it starts to get much tougher. Well, instead, the Bengals are, are one and two. And so if they go one and three, during the easy quarter of the season, what is the what are the next 13 games going to be like? So I think that that's the storyline here. And you can go into other things, and there's other things I'm sure we'll talk about, but are the defending AFC champs really going to fall to one and three? Because if so, it would be a huge letdown compared to where expectations were a month ago. I wonder if we'll be talking in a few days about a Bengals team that is extremely motivated because of that reason. Still backs to the wall a little bit, but a little bit of relief certainly from beating uh, why am I blanking on the team? The Bengals beat the Jets. Wow. Uh, In week three and the Dolphins coming off of a bit of an emotional division rivalry win over the Bills. Do do you you think we'll maybe be talking? I don't know. Kyle, what's your perspective on this? I, I see that storyline brewing depending on how the game goes yeah i will say i had a collective sigh of relief when i saw you guys 
handle the Jets because the the worst thing for me would have been, hey, the Bengals are really backed in a corner if they're 0-3 coming in this game. They caught that last year against Indianapolis. The Dolphins did mm-hmm. where Indianapolis came down and they were 0-3 to start the year. And uh, they they got probably the best game that the Colts played in the first half of the season was the effort that they put forth against Miami where everybody's making really critical plays and you could feel the urgency from that football team. Um, but uh, I, I certainly think the AFC landscape and the NFC, the NFL landscape in general, I think is a nice way to avoid some of that pressure where you have two teams that are undefeated that are left after three weeks. So, you know, you can look at Cincinnati and say, yeah, one and two, but you're, you, it's still wide open, right? Like mm-hmm. you feel like there's going to be a lot of attrition this year and it's going to be a very tightly wound race. So it makes those games, those conference games very important, but it's also one of those things where at two and two, you, I mean, you might be saying, Hey, I mean, if the, the season ended today, we'd still be in a playoff spot. Just kind of, kind of how crowded <laughs> the field is right now. So uh, I think that, that there's a lot of ball game left, but I certainly think, you know, the Colts last week knocking off Kansas City as a team mm-hmm. and Miami knocking off Buffalo, you know, so, kind of some of that urgency for your big picks or aspirations. Neither one of these two teams with a loss is going to feel like, wow, we feel like all of our aspirations are going to be slipping away because Miami got off to a 3-0 and start and Cincinnati kind of in the middle of that crowded field despite kind of a, a underwhelming start versus the expectations that I know the team had for themselves in Cincinnati. And some fun matchups to talk about in this game from the Tua Burrow rematch. Tyreek Hill talking his talk, owing Eli Apple that that's a fun one we can talk about, Kyle, and plenty of matchups we can get in in this one. Yeah, before we dive into matchups, I do want to let everybody know about our friends over at Bet Online. However, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your football betting information this season. You can find all the latest player developments matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth articles on every game that you could possibly hope to find is always bet online remains your continued source for all of your sports wagering information with live betting and up to this minute scores for every sport. It is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games, including major league baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more bet online where the game starts. And where does this game start? Kyle, or let's talk about it. Is it Tyree Kill, Eli Apple, or the Dolphins going to blitz and play a bunch of cover one and cover three? Or what do you think? Where do you want to start here? Yeah, I'm I'm very much interested in Miami's rush effort and what they did against Buffalo and some of the translatability that I think could be here uh, for Cincinnati. And I know Joe Burrow going all the way back to LSU uh, has had a lot of success with with the empty protections and spacing the field and. Oh, I, I think that that being a world in who can get the other team out of what they want to do is going to be, I think, one of the defining matchups of the game. Is is Miami going to stress the offensive line in ways that is going to force the spacing of the field to be reduced in? And I know Cincinnati loves to live in 11 personnel, and they'll, they'll probably still remain in 11 personnel, but what do the formations look like? How do they try to accommodate if Miami has success creating miscommunications up front because they are a schemed and designed pressure system that looks to isolate matchups and create miscommunication or dictate what way the center turns and drop players out from that side and try to attack the interior gaps that way? Or is Cincinnati going to 
have the answers when they're hot and force Miami to kind of get out of those pressure looks and uh, be a little bit more vanilla. I, I think that for me is the, the really fascinating chess match that we have the chance to see play out in this game. Yeah, it, that uh, let's stick with that because to me, and I want to get to the Tyreek Hill, Bengals secondary, Jalen Waddle, all of those things. But when it comes to to this offense, and they, they haven't been as explosive as they've wanted to be in the first three weeks, how do you think the Dolphins are going to go about it? Because I've seen a bunch of different things about the Dolphins. Obviously, they they pressured and, and blitzed a decent amount last week with, mm-hmm. with, with Allen. Do they go about a bunch of too high? Do they do that? Do they go that route? How do they take away these receivers, especially early? Because I think the Bengals, again, this week, they're going to want to try to get off to a quick start. That was such a theme last week, and that, that's certainly going to be a theme again on Thursday. Yeah, well, I, I think the coverage shells that that Miami showed against Buffalo that, that really forced Buffalo to stay patient throughout the entire course of the game, and that's the recipe for how you end up playing 90 plays offensively is just being efficient throughout, you know, being patient – uh, you saw a lot of cover three. You saw a lot of Tampa two. And I think for Miami, there's a lot of translatability that I do think exists between living in a world where you can bring the extra rusher, but they have the versatility with the safeties and Brandon Jones and Javon Holland and linebackers, Jerome Baker and Duke Riley, who I think is a more important piece for this matchup than the other starter in Elandon Roberts, who's more of a thumper between the tackles. Duke Riley was the guy that was mugged up on the A-gaps and then turning and running out of there to play deep middle in Tampa 2. And their coverage spacing and zone coverage is night and day versus what it was last year when the team won in week one and then lost seven consecutive games. Their zone coverages were a mess. So it's, well, we can, we can play man coverage, and that's about the only thing we can do effectively. Well, I think you'll see a little bit less man than, than what Miami would probably prefer because of the absence of Byron Jones. And then in turn you're still going to have Javon Holland playing in the middle with bail technique on the outside. So they'll play cover three and then they'll mix and match with Tampa two, And they'll, they'll use those safeties and that athletic 225 pound linebacker and Duke Riley to take the deep middle and try and run some Tampa two, so that they can present some of those two high looks, which I know has been a challenging riddle for the Bengals offense to solve in the first month of the season. Yeah. It will be interesting to me if we do get that sort of cover cover three bail technique in this game. And if Joe Burrow is willing to just throw it up to T Higgins and Jamar Chase, probably the one that doesn't draw Xavier Howard, who Joe Burrow has praised this week as a guy that just makes everything hard. And he is, he's a great player, but Nick Needham and, and T Higgins, for example, is that a, is that a matchup that Joe Burrow is happy to take advantage of if he gets that single high look something that we saw him go after Sauce Gardner a few times last week and and to varying degrees of success, right? Uh, should have been touchdown potentially on a, on a 25-ish yard target to the back pylon and uh, a 50-yard or so, 40-yard or so vertical to T. Higgins as well. The other thing that was really interesting to me that, that I've seen out there as, as I've looked at this Miami defense a little bit is some of the invert looks and some of the rotations they, they run to get into some of those two high in Tampa looks. Are, are quite interesting, dropping the safety down into that Tampa spot instead of necessarily just sprinting the linebacker back. And so how Joe Burrow deals with some of those rotations will be interesting as well. And, you know, along those same lines, an issue for the Bengals this year has been just the inability to get a running game going with Joe Mixon. And I wonder how much of that is to do with just finding the right spots and, and getting caught in rotations at times 
where they look like they're running into a light box and then there's a post snap rotation to single high and they're coming downhill anyway, or they're quick keying and coming downhill because the Bengals have been a little bit predictable going under center and, and just running wide zone. And, and that's gotten a little bit better in previous weeks. I think the Bengals have shown some tendency breakers, but I, I do think that the, the chess match will be very interesting because there seems to be a clear formula for slowing down the Bengals, which is play Tampa two, play cover two, make Joe Burrow be patient, take away those receiver verticals on the outside and make him find his intermediate, his checkdowns and, and make them do it the hard way. You talk about Buffalo running 90 plays, the Bengals did it in week one against the Steelers who played an uncharacteristic amount of too high stuff for the Steelers. And I just wonder, you know, looking at what the Dolphins like to do, if that patience will be there because Joe Burrow, famous for the don't zero, you can't zero me quote and, and those sort of opportunities against the blitz. I think that will be really fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, and, and then there's the other side of the ball, right? Where, you know, I know James had mentioned Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and the, the Bengals secondary and uh, Tua Tungabella were expecting to play in this game. I know he's formally listed as questionable. Uh, it looked like he got cleated uh, by one of his offensive linemen. I know it's it's a back and an ankle for Tua. It looked like he, he kind of just got stepped on as he was delivering a throw uh, in the second half against uh, Buffalo. So I, I think that's me solving the riddle because I'm like, oh, like when did that happen in the midst of the game? <laughs> but uh, you saw in, when Miami got set up on the short field, uh, with the the turnover that they got in the first quarter against Buffalo, they tried to go under center and run a QB sneak, and he got bent. Tua got bent backwards on that, and that was kind of where he said that his back got tweaked initially. Um, and then they had the the hit, which everybody was all a buzz about, where he came up off the ground and his legs were kind of jelly. Uh, and then he said he really struggled staying loose in the second half, just because Buffalo had so much time of possession that like mm-hmm. he couldn't get loose and stay loose because he, they, there was so much time space between their possessions. So. Um, I do expect him to play. Um, I think they've been pretty selective with their shots down the field. You know, against Baltimore, it was kind of like, well, screw it. We're down 21 points. Like, we got to go either way. And uh, the, the speed kind of took over. But uh, they did a really nice job setting up the big shot to, to Jalen Waddle that they took where they ran a bench route on the first play, the first big play on that drive to Jalen Waddle, where he pushes inside with his stem and then breaks out to the corner. And then if you watch the route that he ran, he actually ran a faked the bench and then came back to the post and they ran too high in that look and they had Tyreek Hill run a corner on the other side. So like these safeties kind of just split wide open. So a really nice scheme. I think they have done a nice job in in utilizing the speed and either challenging teams to either play both of them on the same side of the line of scrimmage or to put them on opposite ends of the formation and really test like, okay, are you going to come out and you're going to play too high and give us all this room to work in the middle of the field? Or are you going to try to bracket, in which case then we could try to run the football or, or kind of come over the middle to Mike Gusecki or somebody else? Yeah, I, I think that, that the, the juggling act with two of them, because that's the hard part. Yeah. And, you know, Lou Anarumo did a pretty good job last year of scheming up things against Tyreek Hill, but it's in, of course, Travis Kelsey was there too, but Tyreek Hill, but it's different when you have Tyreek Hill and then you have young Tyreek Hill. Who's, who's been great after the catch, doesn't need to necessarily beat you vertically to kill you. He's, he's what, I think, second in the league in yards after catch. So I, I wonder, and Jake, this this could be the Dax Hill game where they get a little more speed out there. I I, I wonder if that's the route they go. Because you're going to need speed. Chido Beauzier said it. it to, to defend it, you got to have it. And yeah. so this Bengals secondary is going to be tested. 
it's a it's a good spot, and we could continue talking about this a little bit before we get to our predictions. Might be a good spot for Jesse Bates to show the league, uh, you know, what what he deserves in March and free agency. But first, before we get to our predictions, before we continue this conversation, I got to tell you about Brightco because the guys at Brightco, well, they're geniuses. When you buy an engagement ring or you buy uh, earrings or any any type of valuable, you don't necessarily think about insuring it at that time, but Buying insurance for those valuables should be easy. It should be fast. So whether it's a watch, whether it's earrings, whether it's an engagement ring, you can get covered in two minutes on your cell phone right now. You're not going to find a better deal on great coverage that's super affordable. So if you're about to buy something for her, if you're about to buy something for yourself, maybe you want a little blinged out, maybe Dolphins fans are about to get a 4-0 blinged out uh, necklace, well, you can go to bright.co forward slash locked on and get insurance for your jewelry for your valuables right now. Again, that's bright.co forward slash locked on. Yeah, let's stay on the matchups just for another minute or two here because the, the receiver corner matchups I think are interesting. What the Bengals do in the secondary I think is interesting. What Luana Rumo is going to do with a very adaptable, very uh, amorphous defense on the back end. They, they do what the game plan calls for. We've seen them go blitz heavy at times. We've seen them drop eight. For an entire half and somehow stifle Patrick Mahomes in doing so. So the, the plan that's cooked up here for Jalen Waddle, Tyree Kill, and, and Tua will be interesting. But the, the other matchup that I think really bears talking about here is Trey Hendrickson and Taron Armstead, who mm-hmm. certainly going to play at left tackle, much the same that Lyle Collins is probably going to play at right tackle. And, you know, these were contracts, a fantastic contract for Taron Armstead. I thought the Bengals got a steal with Lyle Collins at his much lower number. Armstead has played significantly better. Hendrickson coming off of his probably career best game with three sacks and three forced fumbles last week. That should be a really fun strength on strength matchup. But of course, the Bengals also have to overcome losing DJ Reader in a spot where he potentially could have taken advantage of Liam Meikenberg and Connor Williams losing a new position. And on the other side, the Bengals don't really have that dynamic pass rusher to maybe take advantage of a potentially advantageous matchup with, with Greg Little over there. But What's your feel for the trenches for this team? Is there mm-hmm. something that the Bengals can exploit there? Yeah, I it kind of calls or echoes what happened last week where Buffalo was without Ed Oliver uh, and they had Von Miller and they they have a lot of young players who are their other edge, edge players, whether mm-hmm. it's Gregory Russo, who's been off to a nice start or Boogie Basham or... Uh, any of the other options that they have rotationally, but it like, it was like Vaughn's the guy. Right. Yeah. And, you know, in crunch time, Vaughn's on the, the left side of the defensive formation and he's rushing against Greg little, but in the matchups where Miami had him matched to the same side as Teron Armstead, you kind of saw the, all of the trust that they put in Teron to say, okay, we're going to leave this as a one-on-one matchup. We trust that you can win it with consistency and we're going to occupy the other guys and, and make sure that Liam Eikenberg has help because I do think he is the weak link right now on the offensive line. Greg Little uh, has performed admirably, but you can tell he's a swing tackle, right? You know, he, he is ideally not one of your starting five. And Austin Jackson went on injured reserve after playing 15 games or 15 snaps against the Patriots in week one. So, you, you know, you're going to be without him for a little bit and you're hoping to keep your head above water there. So, I think Robert Hunt at right guard has played phenomenally. I think he's developing into a high caliber starting guard mm-hmm. and uh, Connor Williams, his athleticism has really shined up front. So I think Connor being able to help 
Liam and Rob being able to help Greg as long as everything at left tackle performs the way that the Dolphins expect it to. I think that's how you'll see that play out where they, they will be willing to leave Trey Hendrickson and Teron Armstead matched up in one-on-ones uh, because they had success with it last week against Vaughn. And, and I do know that Trey has different ways that he can challenge you. I think he's a little bit more of a dense player. I think he has some more power elements where Vaughn is, is a lot of speed and a lot of flexibility and kind of that blink and you'll miss him type player. And that's not to say that Trey Hendrickson's not a, a speedy threat off the edge either, but I do think it'll be an interesting kind of change of pace for the ways in which Teron Armstead is going to have to handle his pass sets to make sure he's, he's where he needs to be. Those guys know each other well from their time together in New Orleans, of course. And it'll be interesting. There's a fun strength on strength matchup there and some fun, you know, you talk about the Miami fronts dictating protection for the Bengals. Can can the Bengals do the same thing to try to isolate some of these guys on the Dolphins side of the ball? And that's the way football goes. Both, both sides are trying to find those matchups, right. And playing that chess game. And there's a ton here we could talk about. We could talk about the success Raheem Mostert could have, with the speed that he brings, we could talk about, you know, whether you are a two a believer, but we got to get your predictions here, guys. How are you feeling about this one? The, the three and O dolphins go on the road and find themselves as relatively heavy underdogs, all things considered with, as far as I know, quite a lot of the money coming to the Bengals side in Vegas. How, how are you feeling about this right now, Kyle? Yeah, uh, when when we sat down and we did the season prediction at the start of the year, I had this as an L. I had the Dolphins at three and two through the first five games of the season. Uh, I think for a lot of the dynamics that we've talked about, Miami being on the road on a short week, off the emotional conse- consecutive emotional wins against mm-hmm. Baltimore and Buffalo, um, the fatigue that's involved in that, I believe they've only done walkthroughs this week with practice, and, and that quite frankly, might not be a bad thing with how the game went on Sunday. But at the same time, uh, the hurricane prompted them to leave earlier than they planned to to make sure that they would get out on time and their game day routine would be the same. Like there's a lot of stuff that uh, is flying in the in your face right now from an adversity standpoint. So if I lean into what I thought before the season and I look at the situation and how it's played out, I think the pathway for for winning this game for for Cincinnati is it's there and it's there for the taking because you will have all of those game day elements in your advantage. And you are the team that quite frankly needs the win more, right? Because you're, you're sitting at one and two, you don't want to go to one and three Miami at three, and oh, you have to fight that all those things we talked about, but I do run a dolphins podcast and the dolphins are three, and oh, so I got like, I got to run on the heater here, right? Like I got to lean into it a little bit. I'm going to pick the Dolphins to win the game. I'm going to go like 24-22 or something like that. But like, I just wanted to be completely objective and say, look, I see everything we're talking about. And before the year started, I picked Cincinnati to win this game. Would not be surprised if it happened. But I got to ride with them now at this point. So I'm, I'm going 24-22 and riding in, lean into the team of destiny type field that's, that's going on. Right that was the longest yeah, but I've ever <laughs> It was three minutes of, I see this, this, and that. No, it, I get it. I, I understand. And this has been a tough one for me. And I think they all are after the, the team that you podcast about loses to Mitch Trubisky and Cooper Rush. I think it makes it much diff, more difficult to be confident going into a game. Um, last I checked, the bet online odds were, what was it, four and a half, five? I mean, it was yeah. 
It's really hot. So I would take the points all day. But I think you hit on it. And just talking to players last week, talking to coaches last week, and you have to do this with Thursday games in general. You have to view them essentially as together. Like we just have this cluster and we just have to get through it to, to the mini buy. The Bengals were talking that way. Not that they were overlooking the Jets. Obviously, they played well. They played their best game of the year. But I, I think they know to, to kind of complete their goal uh, of the past two weeks. It, it, they're going to come out. They're, they're going to have to be the more desperate team. The pressure's on them. And I just I think they make one more play. But it's, it's going to be close. It's going to come down to the wire. I think it could, be, it, it could go the other way. I'll take the Bengals 30 to 27, but you could flip it. You know, if you told me that the, the Dolphins won by a field goal or the Dolphins won by a touchdown, it wouldn't shock me at all. And, and so uh, it should be a fun one. I'm excited to watch it in person. Sure. Uh, but but it, uh, the, the emotional element of it for, for the Dolphins combined with the desperation of the Bengals on a short week and the fact that they're at home on Thursday night football, I'll take the Bengals on a tight one. These are teams that have had games come down to the wire multiple times this year. The last two weeks for the Dolphins, as we've discussed, with Buffalo running out of time, with the last minute, last second touchdown against the Ravens, the Bengals losing their first two games. And I'll say this for the benefit of, of your listeners, Kyle. The first team, I believe, ever to lose their first two games on a last play of the game play. They lost their first two games on on kicks as time expired in overtime and in regulation in consecutive weeks. That's never happened. And so you look at these teams, you see three and oh, you see one and two. You might think, well, why the heck are the Bengals so heavily favored? And, you know, there's AFC champion stuff playing into that as well. There's the Dolphins going on the road. But the reality is the NFL is just such a, a tight league right now. These games are all, for the most part, really close when you get out of the dregs of the league in particular and you get to that middle class, which I think might be where both of these teams are. And maybe Miami fans come after me for that because they're three and oh right now and just beat Man, two really Jake. good teams. But at Jake Lisko crush it. Yeah, it's right. There get the them Dolphins fans. Come at me. It's fine. I'll, I won't see your tweets. It's, it's the, the teams are close is what I'm saying, which is why, you know, you guys are talking about these razor thin margins where it could come down to the last play. But the other thing I just wanted to add to that is Thursday night football is weird, man. On paper, this has the makings of a shootout, which is how James is coming to 30 to 27. Kyle, a little bit more conservative with the 24, 22, but weird stuff happens on Thursday night football on these short weeks where teams don't get to do the kind of preparation they're used to and things are disrupted. And, it's going to be weird to see what the weird is this week. And, and that's kind of my, my closing thoughts on, on this game. Yeah. This has been great it, guys. It, the, the other weird part was the fact that Miami practiced and, and went through their walkthrough at the university of Cincinnati on Wednesday. Mm. Yeah. So j just odd, right? That, that was, that probably wasn't, maybe that wasn't the plan. I'm not sure. Maybe that was. Yeah. I, and like, weirdly, like, I've never been to Nippert, but I've saw photos of like it's just kind of like public access. You walk like can it's see in the down middle from of the street. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can see. And obviously, we 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 oh, have yeah. the 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 tape gate from whoever's observing from from the field, and somebody yeah. had posted a couple of 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 clips of walkthrough stuff, and I don't know, maybe Mike McDaniel's really playing forty chess. Maybe I don't. Who knows? Right. <laughs> if anyone would. That, 
It's him, right? The, the galaxy brain is in Mike McDaniel's head. Right. I would be inclined to say, well, our, our game before preparations got thrown off by expedited travel. So let's get the first place that we feel comfortable to, to go do a walkthrough. And some of the logistics may or may not have, have slipped through the cracks. But they got us all like five or six plays, though. So unless they got like a camcorder up there and they hit the whole thing, like hopefully we only we only have to throw a couple of third and mids away or something like that off yeah, the game right. sheet. <laughs> yeah. Real quick, how has he been situationally through three weeks? Pretty good. Uh, aggressive, I think, would be one way to describe it. They, they went for fourth and, and seven against the Patriots at the 40-yard line with – 20 seconds left in the, the first half and they scored a touchdown on that play and, and can't, they took a timeout to come in there and talk through that one. Um, the challenges have kind of been, I don't want to say frivolous, but like uh, aggressive, you know, if, if we mm-hmm. think this one might bounce our way and we think it's a big play and that happened against Buffalo early in the game last week, we'll throw it. Um, but, but I, I, I would expect a a aggressive script. There's not a lot about Mike McDaniel and his approach to a game that dictates that we're going to do anything close to the best. I'm excited to see this one. I'm excited for for one reason. It's a great matchup. And another reason, I think there are things in the Mike McDaniel offense that I would love to see the Bengals steal. And so we're going to get a chance to see some of that firsthand. This has been Crossover Thursday on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thursday night football coming up. And for your post-game coverage, make sure you check out more on Locked On Bengals and Locked On Dolphins, where we have you covered every day, even after Thursday Night Football.